Hello, welcome to Live from CapTimes Idea Fest. I'm Eric Lawrenson with the Capital Times. Over the course of the next week, we're bringing you recordings of interviews and conversations from our first ever Idea Fest at the University of Wisconsin Madison. Today, formidable Wisconsin women. This conversation featured five women from the realms of politics, education, and business talking openly with reporter Caitlin Farrell about the fear, failure, and frustration that paved their roads to success. All right, let's get started. I hope you enjoy the talk. Hey, everybody. Thank you again so much for coming. Um, so we're here to listen to some fantastic women talk about their experiences and their career paths to success. Um, so uh, first, we have Mary Burke. Uh, Mary is the founder and CEO of Building Brave. That's a nonprofit in Madison aimed at helping women find their most confident selves. She ran for governor as the Democratic nominee in 2014. She's also the former secretary of the State Department of Commerce, and she oversaw strategic planning at the Trek Bicycle Corporation from 1995 to 2004. Um, ne next, we have Nancy Hanks. Nancy is chief of elementary education at the Madison Metropolitan School District, and she oversees principals at all 32 of the district's elementary schools. She is a graduate of Chicago Public Schools, and she also worked as a teacher and a principal there before coming to Madison. Uh, next, we have Jan Eddy, and Jan is uh, the founder and former president and CEO of Wingra Technologies. That was a Madison-based software company. Oracle bought that uh, in 2005. She's a pioneer in the local computer software industry, and she rose from a clerical position with the state in 1970 to eventually leading multiple software companies in Madison. She learned to code and negotiate business deals and was very, one of very few women doing it at the time. Uh, she is now the co-chair of Phenomenal, an angel investor fund for women-focused businesses in Wisconsin. And then we also have Alyssa Toninato. Alyssa is a Madison sculpture artist and the entrepreneur who co-founded uh, Feline Studios and the American Skillet Company. She is best known for making skillets in the shape of states. She has one in the shape of Wisconsin and was honored. Uh, she's featured by, by Martha Stewart's American Made Awards. Um, and then we have Kathy Seifert. Kathy is the former executive vice president of Kimberly Clark. Um, she was with the company for 26 years, and she led their personal care business and their sales organization. Um, she's been on the board of several major corporations. She's, she still serves on the board of Eli Lilly, and she previously was on the board of Revlon, Lexmark, and the UN, UN Fund for UNICEF. So she now runs a consulting group that helps businesses improve their efficiency operations. So um, we are going to start with Mary. <laughs> um, and obviously, I think people know you from your, your gubernatorial run back in 2014. And um, I'm wondering if you can maybe talk a little bit about that experience and how you leverage that and um, ideas of confidence um, and how that informed you and inspired you to start building Brave. Sure, I, I would love to. And uh, I'll start with just giving a little background, because I was a business person, not a politician, and running for governor was as far out of my comfort zone as I could possibly have gotten. And I remember the first big press conference I had, and it was the day after announcing, and it was in Milwaukee at Cathedral Square, a little park downtown. And uh, I can't pass by Cathedral Square to this day without reliving the moment. 
And as we pulled up, I was on the phone with my communications director, Joe. And I was saying to Joe, five questions, that's it. Cut them off. Do not leave me hanging out there. Because I knew that each question was another chance that I would screw up and that that would be Wisconsin's first impression of me on their nightly news. I looked down and I was physically shaking. I don't think I had ever been more scared in my entire life. I took 10 deep breaths, I remember that. <laughs> and then I just opened up the car door and I focused on walking up that sidewalk, projecting confidence. But in my mind, all I was thinking is what the hell have I gotten myself into? <laughs> I was brought up to work hard, be independent, don't ask for help, and definitely don't toot your own horn. And all I did for 13 months was ask for help and toot my own horn. <laughs> and it was really uncomfortable. I was a business person and doing media interviews, public speaking, asking for money was really difficult. And if it wasn't the opposition uh, putting nasty stuff out there, it was people from my own party telling me that I didn't have a chance. It was being so nervous public speaking during those first three months that I would get dry mouth so badly, I didn't know whether I could make it through a speech or an interview. But little by little, with the support of others, I started to gain confidence. I started believing in myself. And that first day, I felt like I was out there all alone with the whole world judging me under a really harsh spotlight. But as it continued, and I realized I wasn't out there alone, I had people with me every single day cheering me on and believing in me, supporting me, encouraging me. And when I got knocked down, they helped me back up. And so by the end of the campaign, I remember a couple of weeks before, I'm back in Milwaukee, and this time it's not five questions. It's an hour-long grilling by the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel editorial board. So that's like 10 reporters around a table just firing questions at you, any subject for an hour. And it was being streamed live. <laughs> yeah, which meant if I screwed up, it would be out there within minutes. I remember finishing up, going around, shaking hands, walking out. I turned to Joe, and I said, Joe, that was really fun. I really enjoyed that. And I had. And the difference was not only a year. It was the support and the encouragement that I got from everyone. I wake up every morning with incredible gratitude for all the help and support I got. I was the same person. I had basically the same capabilities. Confidence, I learned, is a superpower. 
believing in yourself and your abilities is amazing. But you don't get there alone. Others believing in you is the fuel for believing in yourself. And so that's why I started Building Brave. And my vision is to create a global online community of 10 million women who are connecting, inspiring, and empowering each other. So I do have, I'm ever the salesperson now, <laughs> uh, I do have a little flyers here, I'd be happy, postcards to share with people. We launch, we are on, so, we are on social media, you can follow us on Facebook, you can go to Building Brave. Dot org, and uh, we launch an innovative mobile app. I heard from women as I did strategy sessions. They're like, we don't need another monthly meeting. You gotta meet us where we're at. You've gotta fit into our busy lives. So that's why we're a mobile app, and we're launching October 9th. Awesome, thanks. Um, so Nancy, I'm wondering if you can maybe just talk a little bit about um, your background, and I know and sort of how that experience has informed the approach you take right now in education in Madison. And I know we did, the captains did a Q&A with you and you talked just about the importance of having uh, mirrors and windows in education and giving, you know, having those there for students to see. And I'm wondering if you can maybe just talk about your educational experience with those mirrors and windows and how that has informed the approach you take now. That makes sure. sense. Or unpack what mirrors and windows mean. That's right. <laughs> um, I mean, schooling is so much a part of, of all of our backgrounds and all of our um, uh, development, I think, as, as young people and into leaders. Um, I was really fortunate um, to have a pretty positive school um, experience, and partially because of this idea um, that I have windows and mirrors. When I say um, mirrors, I mean um, I have folks around me in my schooling experience that really um, uh, showed my identity, my background, my culture um, in a way that really built a really positive self-identity for myself and it helped foster a really great sense of belonging as well throughout my school experience. Um, I think I, I bring that lens to the work in Madison because it is important that students have an opportunity to see themselves reflected um, in their experience. Um, on the other hand, I think it's hard to make sense of who you are in the world without having a sense of the world. So you need windows as well, an opportunity to see into the world um, around you and where you fit um, into that, that space. And I don't think that's just important when you're growing up in school, but I think it's important all throughout um, your life. <laughs> and certainly my journey into leadership, um, this idea of having windows and mirrors all around me has been really important. Um, I can remember like Mary being just extremely frightened. And the very first day I went to graduate school, um, it was at Harvard University, and I was just physically ill. Um, I think every sense of insecurity, uh, stereotype threat was just raging in my mind. I remember that first day. Um, you know, am I smart enough? Um, do I belong here? What if I say something stupid? Um, just all of the worst thoughts that you can possibly think. Um, but nevertheless, I walked onto campus. My first course pack was about this high. And I was like, what have I gotten myself <laughs> into? Um, but you're gonna do it anyway. 
but there were tons of folks around me, and in particular, there were, um, I remember three African-American women that were professors there. And immediately, a sense, I think, of anxiety that I had kind of went down a bit, um, because there were mirrors there, right? There were women there that affirmed me and said, hey, hon, you're going to be okay, anything you need. But there were also women from all walks of life who were also there to support me as well. So I just think that's really important, and particularly for um, um, women of color who are leaders as well and trying to break into spaces um, to have that sense of affirmation as well as a sense of belonging, I think, is, is important. So I try to bring that to the work I do here um, in Madison as a leader. So Jan, I'm wondering, um, you know, as I had mentioned earlier, you were one of, you know, very few or one of the only sort of women starting out um, in computer software in like the late 60s, early 70s, when many things we now take for granted just didn't exist. Thanks for putting my age up. And, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> It's cool that it's cool that we've come a long way, and, and you were a part of that, you know. But yeah, um, I'm wondering though. Some of the things that resonated so much for me about your story too is how um, you really learned learned on the job. You, you started out in a clerical position. You didn't have a college degree, and you um, made bold choices and and took risks. Uh, you know developing and then you know growing and then selling eventually several companies can can you talk to me about failure uh, and <laughs> just just because you said that um, you know during the during your time at the helm of these companies you know right you're like charting a new course on a new sea and the risk of that is really high and I know that's one thing kind of we discussed about how you were able to reconcile that um, and so can you kind of unpack that paradox for oh, us? I can and... try. Um, yeah, you know, I never, as you go through life, you know, you have opportunities to, to look back and say, oh, how did I ever do that, right? And um, starting out, I've, I discovered that I'm a risk taker. Had, had anyone asked me if I was a risk taker, I would have said, absolutely not. But when I reflected back on some of my early career decisions, um, I understood that I would take risks. Um, later, in, later in my business career, they became calculated risks. Um, but early on, the biggest risk of obviously would have been failure, right? Try something new and you fail. And the first decisions I made that were kind of that risk, leaping into a risk situation, the consequence of failure would have been just on me. So um, taking that risk seemed perfectly reasonable. Um, when, when I was afforded many opportunities, which I was because other people saw something in me that I never would have seen in myself. So I, I owe a huge debt of gratitude so, to a number of people throughout my career that kind of took me by the collar and said, come on, you can do this. And they placed me into a new situation. And I was, you know, egotistical enough, I guess, to say, well, if they think I can do it, I must be able to do it. And I jumped in and uh, learned on the job. Now, later, after my, my first software company, and I, you know, you guys, this is like a 30-some year career, so you don't want me talking about all of it. So I'm gonna jump to my, you know, my first company, um, was Office Solutions in 83. 
And I had worked with the two, my two co-founders before, so it wasn't totally an unknown situation. But learning, um, understanding uh, financials, and that when we did our first cash flow, I realized we were going to be out of money in like three months. Um, that whole process of learning, you know, well, what's happening in Silicon Valley? What are they doing? Well, they're getting venture capital. Well, what's venture capital? You know, you, it was really, I'm talking the dark ages back then. Um, that first company, we did have angel and venture capital money. We grew it. We sold it to a public company from the uh, Silicon Valley. But I never really appreciated during that whole six-year cycle the risk that I was taking, not just for me, but the risk that I had taken on behalf of all the people that worked with me and on, from all my investors. Because we never really came close to absolutely not making payroll um, or anything like that. We grew, it was a wild, wild west. We were having fun most of the time. Um, <laughs> it was my second business that I think the, the overwhelming fear of failure mm -hmm. kind of soaked in. And um, because that story was very much a roller coaster story, there were many times um, that we almost ran out of cash and I would have had to close the doors. Um, but I'll tell you, I, I did have people around me who had confidence in me. Um, I, I turned the feel, fear of failure into a great motivator. Um, and I did that multiple times because I got a taste of having to lay people off when the bank wouldn't renew my line of credit. I didn't like that taste. I got a taste of having to tell all my employees they had to cut their salaries by 10% because the money that I was raising hadn't come in the door yet. There, I could go on and on, but that's when the overwhelming sense of failure and the impact on the people who've had faith in you, either by writing a check or coming to work for you, um, and I could not ever shake that. I mean, I, I just kept going, persistence, persistence, and um, I had some of the same fears of public <laughs> speaking and all of that, and somehow through all, you just take every, I'd remember waking up in the morning and thinking I've got all of these big things to do, new things for me, thinking, oh, I wish it was 9 o'clock and I had my pajamas on, because I was so fearful of that day. Mm -hmm. But you break it into pieces, and, and you, you attack it with everything you've got. That's all you can do. Alyssa, um, so you're, you're trained as an artist and do foundry work, and you, you know, started this um, local company making custom skillets in the shape of states. And I'm wondering if you can maybe talk to me a little bit about um, kind of the, the, the phase in which your company's in right now and how, uh, you know, how you kind of decide to take what's, what's the right next path to take um, while still, you know, having a deep trust and faith in what your vision is. I know that's one thing we talked about is just really believing in, in what you're doing and despite it being kind of a maybe a niche different kind of thing. Right, yeah. Um, I mean, kind of, you know, to sort of piggyback off of what everybody, you know, Mary and Jan and uh, Nancy have said, or I'm sorry, Kat. I'm Jan. It's yeah, okay, okay I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, what everybody said, really, I mean, the buzzword is, is sort of uh, vision, belief, and fear, right? Like uh, kind of taking all of that as um, sort of, for me, is the nucleus of my drive going forward. Um, 
you know, I think uh, being a visual artist, I have a background uh, BFA in sculpture. Um, I've always had a, a sort of unmistakable uh, clarity in my vision for whether uh, whether it's an idea that I have or or sort of a projection of who I want to be. Um, my vision has always been really really clear, which has been a gift, I think, um, in helping me believe in um, in the fact that I that I have something to pursue or whatever whatever goal I'm for, I'm formulating. Um, you know, I've always had this like uh, probably and sometimes irrational drive to <laughs> pursue something that I, that I really believed in. And, uh, and of course, you know, um, uh, it's, it is, it is scary to, to do new things and, and to trailblaze and to be that, you know, a person that's, uh, you know, that's projecting confidence and, and all that stuff. And I think, uh, I, all of what you've said is, has resonated with me currently as, as I'm, um, you know, I have two companies. Uh, basically, there's an art studio called Feline Studios, and then American Skillet Company, which, um, which was built out of necessity. Really, I had some fortunate um, opportunities to to uh, to be public, I guess, in in my work. Like Martha Stewart um, endorsed us with uh, an American Made Awards, and um, and a lot of a lot of things happened in a in a really short amount of time that allowed me to be in a very uh, national, ex you know, national exposure that sort of gave me an opportunity to say, all right, well, you can either grow this idea, take this opportunity and grow it bigger, or or just remain, um, you know, who you kind of are, which is like an underground dirty artist that, you know, sort of just <laughs> does cool stuff in the backgrounds, you know, of things. But um, so I, I was really driven uh, by by this vision to make something bigger than who I was. And, and now um, uh, American Scale Company is five years old. It's still really young. Um, we're we're very much in in the you know the throes of of growing pains and figuring out um, you know like how do we basically build a mid-sized manufacturing business in a day and age where um, you know where it's really hard to get like you know the venture capital the, the funding. I mean, there's a lot of risk in not only manufacturing but um, you know and building that from scratch. But um, but also just in you know investors and people looking at you and saying you do what <laughs> and and how is that working <laughs> you know and and to kind of you know look at them and say I uh, I don't know <laughs> sometimes how this is working in the in the sense that I've uh, created a niche you know I've I've sort of like uh, something happened you know like in between when I when I started as an artist and and me just kind of rolling with the punches and and just you know and trying to and, and re recognizing that i needed to get bigger and partnering with um you know strategically with pattern makers and foundries and and just slowly um using my network to to understand how industry worked and um you know and build this um manufacturing business you know the side of that um you know and just kind of taking all of that and and saying um you know i've, I've got something here like i you know i have a really close connection to my customer base. I have a close connection to how things are made. Um, I think that puts me in a unique place to to continue visualizing what I'm doing because I have um, you know I have a really broad understanding of of like everything that we do. So um, so that really helps me you know like to be kind of in the th in the thick of it and then throes of it um, to you know to take the next step, which for me is. Is uh, still, you know, figuring out how do, how do we how do we raise you know seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars and 
and pay it back. Like, how many skillets does it take to pay that back, you know? <laughs> and can we do that, you know? Uh, so, you know, so these are real questions in, like, in like sort of a different way that I have to uh, think, you know, it's like, I've, I've always been a creative visual person, but um, now that, that skill set is sort of morphed into um, the, you know, navigating business, and which is like a very abstract and, and weird thing for me because I was always just a maker, you know, and I, and I love doing stuff and I love uh, visualizing things, but then to execute on it is, uh, you know, is, is like a new level of creativity. Mm -hmm. So um, so I'm just using that in a different way to kind of um, sort of, blindly go forward it feels feels blind and sometimes you know even though there's a there's a vision there but um but yeah there you know it's definitely like I'm not sure how this is going to work you know and, and if my and if this perceived market that I've created um you know is going to stay around or you know if I'm if I'm able to innovate quick enough to um you know to continue building a product line that that basically is is up to me to you know to come up with so mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, so all those things, you know, I'm still, we're still kind of in that, you know, yeah. like, like doing that, but we, you know, but we're plotting along, so that's good. Cool. <laughs> and it's refreshing, I mean, even just personally to hear, like, talking about mirrors, even hearing other people be like, I really believe in this and trust in this, but like, it's okay to say I don't know. And if I don't know, like, I'm going to go figure it out. And it's like, cool, there's other people that don't know, you know, <laughs> like, nice. <laughs> Kathy, I guess transitioning, um, to, to you, I am wondering, so when we spoke, you, you had mentioned as well that when you um, came into a leadership, a real leadership role at Kimberly Clark, you, um, you know, were one of the only women in that space, you know, in the boardroom. And um, one thing you said to me, which I've heard from other women too, was the sentiment that you just wanted to show others too that you deserve to be there. And that, you know, in some ways that drived you. So there was this element of proving to yourself and to others that you deserved the position you had, but then also not getting really hung up, so hung up on what people think of you and just doing the best job you can. So I don't know if you have thoughts on kind of reconciling those two, because sometimes I think that can be tricky. It's like, right, not being so mired and like and paralyzed by what other people think about me, but really also proving to them that, you know, you deserve it, and yeah. How do you how do you reconcile that? I don't know if any of us really can. I mean, that's a tough one. But a uh, little backstory here. Uh, by the way, Caitlin, great job pulling the panel together. I only knew Mary before, and I'm learning wonderful things about these women. And hopefully, you're hearing a lot of consistency, a lot of risk taking, fear of failure, and we've been mentored and supported by lots of great people through our lifetime. So. Great. I love meeting you guys. Um, anyway, a little bit of backstory. Um, yeah, I pursued, even going into business school, there were very few women in business school at the time. All of my lady friends were going into, my colleagues from college were going into nursing or education. They didn't understand what I was doing. I didn't understand what I was doing, but I knew I wanted something like that. Fast forward, I ended up at Kimberly Clark, had some great opportunities, but I did have an inferiority complex much like what you've heard here, because I did not have an MBA. Um, I did not go to an Ivy League school, and I was surrounded by all men. So um, even they did not necessarily know how to treat me. Um, and so I had a great mentor who sort of treated me like a daughter, which was a, a wonderful situation because Jack Besser put his arm around me and just taught me all sort of rules of the road, which was great. But so I'm growing up in this very male-dominated environment, feeling a bit inferior. Of course, you don't say that out loud. 
You're thinking it, right? And so meanwhile, I'm just trying to prove to myself um, that I deserved the job I had. I wasn't even thinking about the future regarding whether or not I could aspire to have some higher level opportunity at the company. I just wanted to, I didn't want to get fired. I wanted to have my job and I had had a previous job at another company at Fort Howard Paper Company in Green Bay where I had a really tough boss that never gave me any kudos. Uh, I really felt like I was a failure, went into a mini depression for a little bit because I thought I was just not gonna make it. And so that soured my, I mean, I kept thinking, no, I know I can do this, I know I can do this. So thankfully I left that company and <laughs> yay. And uh, I mean, really you learn a lot from good bosses and not so good bosses, right gang? Um, so anyway, I had this huge opportunity that I did not wanna blow. So I worked my buns off. I mean, I was working 24 seven just to catch up to where the other people were because I didn't have my MBA right. And I had to get uh, smart really fast on the consumer businesses. So I worked really, really, really hard and I asked a lot of questions. Somebody else brought that up before. Just trying to learn what people, what, what I needed to do to be successful. But I couldn't worry about what other people thought. Uh, so when I first, my, when I got pregnant the first time, all the men I was working with assumed I was gonna go home and raise these kids, right? And so I couldn't, I couldn't let that bother me. I had to keep on trucking. And I was offered an opportunity to move to Roswell, Georgia. And at that time, if you didn't take a move, you were gonna be, right? Uh, knocked down the pedestal. Well, I couldn't worry about that. My husband at the time had just become a, um, um, a partner in the law firm and we had our first child. So I used that as the excuse, right? <laughs> to stay behind, which actually was beneficial to me from a long-term standpoint and from a career standpoint. So I couldn't let what other people were saying deter me from really focusing in on on how to do things. I mean, Jack, my buddy, who was my mentor, told me what to wear. He wanted me to look like a woman. I couldn't wear pants. I had to wear a dress or a suit when I was presenting. I mean, all of that was really good stuff. But I couldn't worry what other people said. Like even making presentations, you sort of get, you practice a lot and you get into a groove and you realize what is most effective. The way your style works is a whole lot better than the way the guys work. So you just sort of have to learn that and just kind of filter the rest of the stuff out. But ultimately, I realized that, uh, and I also wanted to spend a lot of time in the sales force because I realized if you're not really tracking with what the customer wants, you're not gonna be able to understand where they're coming from to meet or exceed expectations. And I got great training at Procter & Gamble in that world, so really honing in on what consumers are saying was beneficial. Some of my colleagues in marketing were a little bit above it all to go out to the sales force, to be really honest with you. That was beneficial to me long-term. So I think really figuring out what it takes to really understand what are the needs of the consumers and really helping to work with the R&D people and the sales people to come up with innovations that really meet or exceed expectations. So all along the way, you just have to believe in your heart what's the right thing to do in order to generate results and not let other people tell you what to do. And then I guess at the end of the day, um, the thing I learned most is that it's not about you as a leader, it's really about how you inspire others to drive positive change. It has nothing to do with you. It's about how people react to the inspiration or motivation that you can get them, give them to make them feel really good about what they're accomplishing. Yeah, yeah, no, that's great. Uh, and so one thing I wanted to follow up on a bit more, and I, Mary, you kind of, touched on this initially, and then everyone kind of, I think, also lent a hand to that. But can you guys talk a little bit about how 
or and maybe for you, I'm curious. Like you had this moment where you really, you know, you had a lack of confidence and you you had a lack of trust in yourself, really. And then other people, you had support and people coming around you. So sometimes I think there can be a tension between, you know, you can have like a whole army of people around you, maybe being like, "You're awesome. You can do it. You're awesome." But it's not until you inside really accept that and believe it that then that actually matters. And so I'm curious for you, I mean, was there a point for you that, or for any of you that like it clicked and you're like, I'm gonna accept this and move forward or was it like a long process and? The framework I have come to understand is I've gotten basically into almost this this organization or business, the psychology that women face particularly with regards to uh, with regards to if we're going to talk about confidence. And it's not something that actually, there's a lot of negative connotations that women feel when we talk about a confident woman. Like, that's part of the problem is we think, we're like, oh, we, we picture someone and we're like, oh, we don't want to be that person, right? And the fact is, is that because we imagine confidence as being this, you know, pound on your chest, I'm the greatest sort of thing. That's the almost exact opposite of what true confidence is. True confidence, what I realized in running for governor, in losing, in having all my faults completely exposed, is I almost had to go through that. I almost had to lose and fail and have everything exposed to realize and accept my own imperfections because I was letting them hold me back. Perfection stands in the way of growing. And once you're able to accept your imperfections as part of being a whole person, that's what confidence is. It's accepting your imperfections and not letting them hold you back. And so I did have to go out every single day from day one and basically act and speak as if I believed that I was the best person to lead the state of Wisconsin. Because if I didn't act and say that, why would anyone else believe that, right? And so I did have to do that fake it till you make it. Now I had confidence in other things, right? I had had a successful business career. I mean, I had played sports. I had, a, so I think all the things you do contribute to an overall pool. But what we have to realize, and what I've heard from every single person here, is that anything that is new, that you haven't done before, anything that involves uncertainty, is going to feel scary. But it's a feeling. That's all it is. It's a feeling. And what we have to do is not let it hold us back. And for women, there is, we all have a deep, deep need to feel accepted, right? Human nature. And we do that mainly by conforming our behaviors, how we speak, how we act, how we dress, right? So for women, particularly as you get out into the workforce, what happened with me, I mean, I grew up and I wanted to be a business person just like my dad and I worked really, really hard at it. I knew exactly what I wanted to do. 
And uh, I remember graduating from high school, my teachers wrote like in my yearbook or something like that, like the CEO of IBM better watch out, right? <laughs> and, and in graduate school, business graduate school, I had a classmate who, had, um, who said, he described me as if, you know, if it was 200 years ago, she would be out in the wild, wild west, like staking out new territory, fighting off the attackers all the while while holding a baby. And I'm like, I didn't see myself as this. But what happened is, after that, I started to play smaller and smaller because I started to realize I didn't fit in. And so whether it was as a woman getting into my late 20s or 30s and not being married and like what was wrong with me, getting professional feedback that said, you know, everyone likes you, you do a fantastic job, but um, you're really intense. Um, could, maybe you should tone it down. And I started doing things like mm -hmm. I'd sign my name Mary with the small M. Oh, like wow. it's, it'd be friendlier. Right? I became satisfied with job positions that were basically offered to me. I stopped going after things. Right? I started toning it down. And that's why I need, that's why running for governor, being dragged through the mud, losing, best decision. I have ever made in my life <laughs> because finally, finally, I needed that to realize that who I truly am, I am bold, right? I'm brave. I am ambitious. I want to make the world a better place. And you know what? That's a good thing. And I no longer, I try, believe me, I still work on my imperfections. I try not to let them hold other people back or me back. What I would no longer do is I don't beat myself up for those imperfections, and I certainly don't try to be someone else, try to conform. And that, to me, is what confidence is believing in who you are and being who you are. Yeah, thank you. What about you, Nancy? How do you... Oh, I mean, it, it, I mean, it never, it never stops. I mean, you know, I, we were laughing because we were like, oh, I wonder what answer she has for that because <laughs> we haven't, you know, quite conquered that. Right. I think it's yeah. an ongoing journey. I used to have a very kind of Pollyanna archetype of what leadership was and in many ways felt like it was the absence of fear, that leaders were fearless, right? Um, but that's not the case. You feel fear, you feel anxiety, but you, you still move your feet. You do it anyway. Um, and the fact that you're not paralyzed by it is what really makes you um, a leader. I try to recall um, when I'm, I'm feeling especially maybe doubtful of myself, um, what I like to call bloody wins and victories I've had in the past. Just a reminder, like, you've done hard things. Um, you've overcome obstacles before. Like, this isn't the first time you faced opposition. 
Um, because the self-talk sometimes is just raging, and so you have to talk back at it in many ways. Um, just to say, nope, been here before, I've done hard things. Yes, I've felt the fear before speaking engagement. Um, and, and I think in my field especially, you know, sometimes the, the idea of failure is tough for me to really deal with because I'm responsible for people's kids. Yeah. And no one likes to talk about failure when you're talking about education <laughs> or their kids, right? There's a tolerance for it and other, you know, um, aspects, but, but not something that people like for you to talk about, right? Um, so in a sense, I, I have to... Um, definitely project a sense of confidence because I want people to feel like they can trust me, right? Mm. Um, and and still, some ways, know for myself that I don't have all the answers, um, and that I'm still figuring some things out as well. But I don't think it ever stops. But you learn how to manage it, and when it really gets out of control to the point where it's about to paralyze you, you learn how to check it, and you really learn how to talk back to it so it doesn't. Uh, paralyze you in the work that you're doing and moving forward. I guess I'll take a, we, we have a few questions from the audience. Um, and one of them I'll ask, which I know sometimes this is, I know sometimes a criticism as like, you ask this question of women and are men ask this question? Well, maybe not. But one of the questions from the audience is, how do you manage your careers with family obligations, raising, raising children or maybe even just uh, having a balance between pers your personal life, too, and your professional life. So um, I uh, had um, got two children and four grandkids, and um, I worked right through the career. I took six weeks off for Aaron, because that's what was allowed, and I took six weeks off for Andrew, because that's what it was allowed, and that was pretty much it. Um, but the first time, you know, once again, the guys didn't think I was coming back, right? So I, to prove to them, I, of course, I worked through that six months, six, six weeks, pardon me, which is nuts. You shouldn't be doing that, but that was way back when. Fast forward, um, it's imperative you have lots of people around you. You need a team of people. Um, I, we had childcare for the kids, either somebody coming in or the child went out. We did that, um, and uh, you learn to use parents if you can, and babysitters and whatnot. Um, the other thing, and I had, I'm not a great cook. My ex-husband was a great cook, so that was terrific. He did the cooking. I traveled around the world, and he would always make sure he, the dinner was on the table for the children, which was great. So you need partnerships with whomever you're a partner with, and that could be very broad, but you really need a team of people. I have told people over time, you know, I mean, I remember the time, Uber wasn't around, um, I remember the time that I had to hire a taxi cab drivers to take my daughter, our daughter, to tennis lessons. I mean, that, I mean, I interviewed taxi cab drivers, how bad is that? But that's what you did. I mean, you did what you had to do back then. And uh, the kids are both great because of it. It's very funny. I've asked both Erin and Andrew whether or not they regret that I had this career and did I neglect them at all. And they had wonderful opportunities because of the career, okay, because every now and then I'd take them places. Uh, but Erin said, the only thing I regret, Mom, is that you were not home at 3.30 when I came home from school. Because at 3.30, everything is really important to them, right? Mm -hmm. I'm working. And so moral of the story is, if you've got kids coming home at 3.30, you better be sure you're calling them, texting them, phoning them, or whatever, so that they can unload to you what's the most important thing in their life, which was right there at 3.30. Because I wasn't at home until 6 or 6.30, so it was old news then. So anyway, you can do it. You need to set your priorities, what's most important to you. If you've got elderly parents, you've got to focus in on them. You've got to focus in on the 
kids and hopefully you're working in an environment in a culture that's very supportive of women and working women with families. So that was my story. So I still have, obviously, to this day, I reflect back on some things that um, being a working mom, you know, I felt guilty when I was at work, and then I felt guilty when I was at home, and it was like, oh, my God, this guilt. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I'm going to just share one little story that to this day, I could just shrink right into a little ball when I think about what I did. So I I worked a lot of hours. I had a spouse um, that was uh, able to be home more than I was. But this was in the, when I was trying to learn, you know, what it meant to capitalize your company. If you're gonna raise money, I mean, you sold equity. Well, what was my company worth? And all of that. Well, there was a Bill Linton who founded Promega, said, Jan, I'll come over to your office and we'll work this out together. But he couldn't come until like seven o'clock at night. Well, I took my little girl with me at that time, and um, she was, you know, writing all over the whiteboard and having fun, and we're talking and talking. The next thing I look, she's asleep on the floor in front of the whiteboard, and it's 9.30 at night. Oh, my God, you guys, I could cry just thinking about it. But I have to tell you something. There were other things that I did and opportunities that I was able to provide her that I wouldn't have been able to give her otherwise. In the scheme of life, it's not always an even balanced scale. There are going to be demands on you and sacrifices you have to make, and only you know which direction that scale needs to go at that moment. Um, I, you know, I was. Uh, very fortunate that um, I could also set set the groundwork, set, set the culture for my company, and we we were very family oriented. But at the time, it required me, the leader, and because I didn't know anything, I had to put in all this extra time to learn and prepare. I over prepared for everything because I didn't want to embarrass myself or my company by looking like an idiot. Um, So that required a lot of extra time on my part. And even after the kids were in bed at night, I'd be up late. Um, I remember one, you know, talk about being knocked off your pedestal. So I had just closed our first round of funding with Venture Investors. (laughs) Uh, We were the first company they ever invested in, by the way. Um, This was in 1984, I think. And I, you know, I just deposited the check in the bank account, and I pull home, the garage door goes up, I pull in, I am good. <laughs> I, get, I get out of that car door, I open the door into the house, there's my daughter standing there in tears. Mommy, I don't have any clean underpants. <laughs> and I went, you know what, she's right, this is what life, this is what's really important, right? <laughs> So those are the roles that you fill in life, and it's not always going to be even. Don't expect it to be. And forgive yourself when it isn't, because in the end, all you can do is your best. I'll just add that it's, so I'm, full disclosure, not married, and I don't have children, and I think the uh, dynamic of that is that 
in the workplace, people can think that you actually have unlimited time to work, right? <laughs> so it's like, oh, well, of course you can go to X, 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 X. Or of course you actually want to take on, you know, more projects, more boards, more presentations, more everything, um, because you don't have anything else to do. Um, and so I, I, my advice, especially for um, women who are, are working and out there and aren't necessarily in a traditional family structure or have kids, um, is that you still need balance. Um, and your life cannot become about taking on more work until you get a husband or a partner, right, or kids, that you still need to find a sense of balance um, and enjoyment outside of work that will help fulfill you. And I agree the sense of balance is, is a farce. I think at best you, you maybe mm. reach a sense of like ebb and flow that like works for you um, and you figure out when you kind of need to tip the scale in the opposite you know, direction. But this idea that in many ways that you're going to take on these really bold, challenging, mm. like innovative roles for like you know, good and somehow also be able to achieve perfect balance, I think is, is just a myth and in many ways drives us to reach an, an inobtainable um, standard. But even if you're, you know, a single woman like me, don't allow them to then let that be the excuse for why you should take on everything. Like, like Nancy, I don't have kids and I've never been married. So, uh, and I will say my personal experience is I'm not, a, I'm not, balanced. I really am just like, yeah. I realize I just have a passion and I pursue those passions and that's, it's, uh, I have to work to try to breathe, right? Um, but what I've learned with the work we have done with Building Brave and in talking to women is this, uh, this high bar that we set for ourselves over and over again in every aspect of our lives. And if you listen to Kathy and to Jan, you realize they had to become accepting of themselves and maybe lower the bar. And I think we find it, I talk to a lot of women who set a really high bar on everything, on putting meals on the table, on the house they run, on the, the standard of their kids' birthday parties, on doing it at work, on being the perfect spouse. I mean, just over and over and over again. And we have this one saying at Building Brave, we call it hashtag abandon perfection. It's like sometimes just lower the bar, right? You just, you're going to drive yourself nuts. And so, um, so that's the other thing is that takes confidence. It takes confidence to not let other people Set the normal for what you, the type of parent you should be, the type of spouse you should be, the type of person you should be at, at work, the type of social person you should be, all these. You need that confidence to say, this is the life that is right for me and for those I'm close to. And you have to be comfortable with not being, it all being perfect. Yeah, I mean, uh, this totally resonates with me. It's, I'm taking uh, a trillion mental notes because I, um, because I, I just jumped into the new mama pool uh, seven weeks ago. So, yeah, thank you. <laughs> so, uh, so I'm like, okay, good, good, okay. 
I don't need to. I don't need to always do all of those, you know, things. But um, you know, and it's it's just it's incredible to hear. It. I mean, six. You worked through those six weeks. That's that's awesome because I could hardly um, fix a bowl of cereal for myself, like you know, four weeks in or whatever. Um, but uh, you know, I, I think I think it's remarkable after going through. This is my first my first uh, baby, and. Um, you know, and just going through uh, the, that experience for me was like, you know, I, I'm 35 years old. Um, I've always worked with women in my industry that uh, are really strong, childless, um, you know, like like kind of go-getters, like um, usually 10 years my senior sort of just being the, the Amazons like out there. They're like, they're women that are very strong in my industry that are doing what they're doing. So, um, so you know, for me, I'm just like, I was like, wow, like women, you know, women in this, the, the experiences, the, the, I guess the breadth of things that we can do is remarkable. Like, I mean, just physics, biomechanics of a woman's body, like blows my mind. I still can't <laughs> believe that we do that, you know, and, uh, we, <laughs> you know, and, and just, you know, That's and then just funny. that drive too. I mean, you know, it's like this, when you said, this is just what we did you know this is what we did it was not even a question it was just like no that's just what you do and it's like that I think that women I think we I don't know just maybe automatically kind of put the bar like way high you know because we're we're like super detail oriented we're always we're like on par we're sensitive to our bodies we're sensitive to like environments like I think that we just have like another lens that um you know is unique to to um maybe maybe being a woman i i don't know you know i don't want to say that because it's a really broad generality but um but i do believe that women are like insanely capable of like way more than we than we even acknowledge before uh hitting some new you know level so i think that it's it's just really cool to hear um you know how how different levels of of motherhood and and even you know just that that you just you get through it like like a warrior because you you now have a baby that you're like like you get wrapped you know you're just like like i i am going to make this work you know i don't care what it takes i'm like i'm exhausted but i don't care you know uh so it's awesome you know i think it's like it's a great driver you know and and uh Andrew and I, uh, we we work together. We're both entrepreneurs, you know, and it's like everybody's kind of told us that it's like, well, how lucky are you that you just, you know, like you don't have anybody kind of putting any pressure on you. And it's just like, <laughs> I'm like, I don't, I don't know if that's how that works, you know. <laughs> like, I think that, you know, that we that nobody cares if we don't go in, and therefore we don't get have an income. <laughs> like, yeah, you know? yeah. So there, there is like a direct, you know, relationship to going back to work and like feeding yourself. So, um, yeah, you know, and, and uh, that's always been, you know, but I, I do think that it's like we're going to make it because I because I know there's so many women before me that have that have made it work. So for me, it's like the mirror, you know, where it's like saying this is, you know, b mothers have been making babies for like a long time. Um, like forever. Yeah, like kind of evolution. <laughs> like you sort of relied on that. So, you know, we got this, you know, and, and I think that, that that sense of, I don't know, I for me, I can visualize like that, that I take that and sort of uh, somehow, you know, like soak that up into like my own confidence level where I'm just like, I, it'll be fine. <laughs> I don't know how, but you know, it doesn't matter. <laughs> We're kind of winding down on time a bit, but I'm wondering if there's anything um, that like hasn't been mentioned that you guys particularly would like to speak to or that you think 
I mean, surely you've maybe been a part of or listened to a lot of conversations about women and leaders and all that. And if there's ever things where you're like, why don't they ever talk about this? Or this is often misunderstood. Or So is there anything, I guess, that comes to mind that um, is on your heart that you're, you just feel strongly or would like to say as far as something we didn't cover or that people often maybe misunderstand or misperceive? I, I have to add this. I think it's imperative that we all help each other. Yeah. Uh, we're all in this together. It's imperative that we support young women who are building self-confidence. I mentor two girls basketball teams, high school girls. Whoa, do they need support. You know what I mean? <laughs> they are so fragile. And uh, they are. I mean, we're all fragile. And it, the sooner we can get people to feel really good about their success, success breeds success. I know at Kimberly Clark, I finally arrived in gaining self-confidence when they anointed me president of feminine care. The guys didn't care so much because it was feminine care, okay? And had a great great track record after that, and so then they added more businesses, and so then I headed up all the personal care businesses. But I think that the, the more we can help each other and other young women really aspire to greatness and keep pushing people to greatness because as Alyssa mentioned, I mean, women are incredibly capable. In fact, we exceed expectations in so many regards. And so I think we just all, all have to reach out and help as many other women as we possibly can. Yeah, I would, I would echo what, what Kathy said. And, and to understand that uh, it, there is no issue with women and our abilities or uh, anything like that. But we still have a society that has a lot of messages that do undermine women's confidence. So this is not something that is based on our abilities. It's simply based on the messages and the social conditioning. As early as five years old, girls start to believe that boys are smarter. Those are the programs on TV. They're the things that happen on the playground. You never, you can't pin it down to one other thing. In middle school is when girls start to believe they don't belong in the science fields and in traditionally male-dominated industries. Girls in high school feel that they are far more valued for their looks than their abilities. So that influences behavior. So these are all the things that, so it's nothing inherent about women or girls. It's the things that are inherent in our society currently. So that is why we need, that's why I started Building Brave. It is about having those others. I think I heard each person here talk about how we all benefited because other people saw the potential in us, the mirroring, right? And then nudged us and pushed us. We still need that because there are a lot of messages that encourage us to play smaller. That's more acceptable. And so we need a community, and we all have to be part of that. I know I have those unconscious biases. I know I have them. When women step out, we immediately have judgments that go on. And every day I wake up and I commit myself to never criticizing another woman, particularly when she puts herself out there. I don't care what side of the aisle she's on. I don't care whether I like her. I don't care whether I agree with her. But we're role models, each of us. Each of us need to understand we're leaders in our own networks, our own communities, and we impact 
how others are going to feel about women and about ourselves. So I am so on that community part. Yeah, I'd like to add something too, because uh, you know, plowing new ground uh, in a new industry um, or anything that you're doing, you're plowing new ground somewhere. And um, one of the things that I kept telling myself, um, I'm a very reflective person, you know, so I've been through a very difficult experience, and I'll say, well, how do you think that went, <laughs> you know? Um, and I had this theme very early in my career thinking that shouldn't have been that difficult, right? Hmm. Well, mostly it was difficult because I was a woman mm. in quite a few mm. of these circumstances. Trying to raise investment capital, hey, Brian, <laughs> our friendly venture capital person in the audience. Um, uh, you know, women weren't raising money for technology back then, right? Um, and so I promised myself someday, if I was ever successful, measured in a lot of ways, and the least way is financial, but the only, the, the really tangible thing I knew I could do if I became successful financially was to help other women getting started in business because it was very clear that um, many, many fewer dollars were flowing into the female side of the equation as entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. um, so um, I've been very fortunate to be involved in two angel funds, uh, one in Wisconsin, uh, which is, was Wisconsin-focused, we're not investing anymore, and one in Michigan who's a national focus. Um, these funds are all focused on women-led companies, and they are funded by women. Um, now that's the way I choose to give back financially, but it is very hard for me when I get a call from a, 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 a young woman or a mid-range or older woman who's starting a business that needs some help, I just can't put that phone down. Mm. You know, if I can't help them personally, <laughs> I will find someone to help them. And um, that's kind of the pay it forward model, right? Um, you really, you look back and you say, how can I make it better for my daughters? And now I have, out of 11 grandchildren, I have six granddaughters. Mm -hmm. So um, they are in the back of my mind a lot when I'm doing some of these things because I want their world um, to be better than my world was. Mm -hmm. So no, no matter how young you are, there's ways you can reach out into your community and into your sisterhood and provide some support. I, I love the conversation for its, its vulnerability, I think, and its balance of strength and confidence with that. I hope that's where the future of conversations around leadership um, goes more often. I think more women, especially, would maybe aspire to leadership if it, if it wasn't feeling like it was such an unobtainable standard. Mm -hmm. um, I love hearing about the failures. I love hearing about the struggles. I love hearing about the fear because that's usually what people don't want to talk about. You know, <laughs> they want to give you all of their successes and everything that went well. And um, now you hear more of that. But I think um, I love hearing a conversation where you're able to celebrate the confidence 
um, in the brilliance of who you are as a woman and as a leader, but also just be vulnerable about the messiness of it and the not knowing and just like the crazy, like making things up as you go and the <laughs> imposter syndrome that you feel. Um, I think if, if we talk more honestly um, about that, you have maybe more women and just more people in general maybe aspiring to leadership um, because we open up the archetype of what leadership can um, and actually does look like in action. So I'm extremely encouraged by that. Well, I think we um, need to wind down, right, Katie? Yep. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, so thank you guys though so much. I really appreciate your honesty and your vulnerability. And um, anyway, it was really personally edifying for me and I hope you guys enjoyed it. So thank you so much for coming. Thanks. Thanks.